9 o'clock, Jim and the Buckeye Boy. It's the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. How you doing? Thanks for spending your Thursday morning with us. We've been talking about some of the comments that have been made in the days after DeMar Hamlin collapsing on the field during Monday Night Football. And we'll get to an update on DeMar Hamlin in just a moment. The the news is really good, by the way, in regard to DeMar Hamlin. Uh, People like Bart Scott blaming T. Higgins. Yes, he's blaming T. Higgins, or did, for what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Ah, he shouldn't have launched himself in the way he did it, DeMar. Yeah, should have. Should have what? (laughs) Just caught the ball and fell to the ground? I mean, what? He was trying to break a tackle. He was trying to make a play. Yeah. Please don't ever, Bart Scott, complain about how soft the Pro Bowl has gotten. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. Indeed. And I just... To, to criticize T. Higgins for, for trying to make a football play, for trying to, trying to do his job. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate and it's terrible what happened to DeMar Hamlin. But come on. Really? And then you have Stephen A. Smith who's trying to defend him. He wasn't blaming T. Higgins in any way. He wasn't questioning his intent in any way. And for people out there to say otherwise is ludicrous. He said, I'm not trying to put the blame on T. Higgins, but that's something the NFL tried to take out. They never make that call about him lowering his head. Remember, there was a big deal about that, about about a player lowering his head. Mm -hmm. And how that... You know, also was on the offensive side as well. Um, former Bengals tackle Andrew Whitworth, who's analyst on Thursday Night Football on Amazon, called Scott's take BS. Micah Parsons, Cowboys linebacker, said, why do we let some people speak on TV? And so, screaming A... Calling the critics to calm down. Smith said he simply asked Scott to explain what happened during the play, which involved Higgins lowering his head as Hamlin went to make an otherwise normal tackle. Said he wasn't blaming T. Higgins in any way. I just think that when you when you phrase it the way Scott did, it, it's it sounds like he's blaming T. Higgins. Yeah, a little bit. And you're a guy that played in the league. Come on. So here's what he said. These are the comments that he made. That, let's see. I'm trying to find the specific comment that he made here about it. That he said, as Hamlin prepared to make the tackle on Higgins, the Bengals wide receiver lowers his helmet and he kind of throws his body into Hamlin's chest. He's standing up because he's thinking he's got to chase T. Higgins at an angle to make a tackle, so he didn't expect T. Higgins to launch his body into him. Okay, when you hear that, once again, now going back to what I referenced, what Stephen A. Smith said, 
does does it change how you think about what Bart Scott said? Does it change it at all? Not really. I'll take a beat on and, and step back in that he's not necessarily calling T. Higgins out. He's talking about him making the play and them not calling him for lowering his head, which to me, come on, you're not going to... You watch it, you've seen that play a million times. Right. He was trying to... But it comes off as T. Higgins is responsible for what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Because he lowered his head and he lunged into him. He lunged into him. DeMar Hamlin was not expecting that. But he wasn't expecting to have a collision with a ball carrier when he went to try to tackle him. The only reason I, I take a slight... Okay, he didn't say T. Higgins is the reason why... Mm-hmm. He's in the, the Demar Hamlin's in the hospital. He didn't say that, but what he did say, though, what he did imply was, yeah, because he lowered his head, though, and you're not you're not supposed to do that, and they didn't call it. Yeah, that's why this happened. Which I agree with Andrew Whitworth. It's BS, and it still doesn't change what I think about Bart Scott and his take on this, and. Screaming A can defend him all he wants. But the implication there, at least in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, well, T. Higgins made a move that um, that put him in the hospital. But DeMar Hamlin kinda, in the hospital. That's the vibe I get from it. And that may just be me, but that's kind of the vibe of, well, you know, if T. Higgins would have blah, blah, blah. Like, T. Higgins doesn't need any extra blame from outside sources more than what he's probably putting on himself. He already feels terrible about what happened, and he's not to blame for why Hamlin's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, if it would have been a case where T. Higgins catches the ball, Hamlin's in front of him, Higgins lowers his head and rams his helmet right into the chest of DeMar Hamlin, he gets a run at him and, and tries to run him over from five yards away. Okay. Maybe I'll give Bart Scott a little latitude on that. Mm -hmm. Because you're not allowed to lower your head. But pretty much it's on the play, if memory serves me correctly, out in the flat, Higgins catches it, starts to turn upfield, Hamlin hits him, there's contact where where Higgins kind of lowers his shoulder and, and his helmet, tackles him to the ground, and then Hamlin gets up, and then that's when he collapses. It wasn't like he ran at him from five or ten yards away. It was pretty much a bang bang play. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'm going to change about my opinion is he didn't call him out specifically. Say T. Higgins is why Hamlin's in the hospital, but he can't. He did everything up he, to that. He up went to right that. up to it. Yeah. Up to that. And Stephen A. Smith, I guess, doing what he's supposed to do, supposed to defend a colleague. Trying to defend what he was saying there. But it gets back to just the great overreaction by people. And the hot takes that are out there floating around. All right, quick update on Damar Hamlin. Shared this last hour that uh, doctors at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center say he's shown remarkable improvement over the last 24 hours. And that they uh, feel like neurologically that things are intact, uh, that, that those are all really good signs that he is 
opened his eyes, opened them yesterday, and has been responsive. And he was able to grip the hands of those in the hospital room with him. So all really, really good yeah. signs for DeMar Hamlin. Uh, I got a text from Butchie. Great to hear the good news about Hamlin. Continued prayers for a full recovery. To those complaining about this being someone's fault or making it about vaccines or racism, you're disgusting. Go Chiefs. I have not caught the racism part. Have you on on that no. part of it? The vaccine stuff I've read, and it's like that that's the reason why. No, it's not. I also try to we, stay I mean, away from places where that normally comes up anyway. Yeah, me too. So it's, I'm not familiar with that aspect of it, Butchie, and I'm, I guess I'm glad I'm not. I haven't not. seen it. That doesn't mean it's not yeah. there. But uh, really good text, Butchie. Solid yeah. text from you today. All right. Uh, yeah, it's starting the year on a high note for I know. Butchie there. It's on a, he's on a roll. Yeah. Five got, days into the month. Got minutes pretty early on the old phone there. No kidding. Use them wisely, Butchie. Yeah. Use them wisely. You only have so many this month. Yeah, don't call like American Express gift card services. <laughs> no, don't You'll do that. You'll be on there for like an hour and ten uh, minutes trying to activate a card. Yeah, we had a little uh, snafu. Our company's so nice to give us American Express gift cards for Christmas. Yeah. There's one problem. Um, somebody hacked into the account they were attached to, mm-hmm. and we all had to call up American Express to get them to unlock the cards. Because yeah. when their investigation started into the, the card they being hacked they locked them all up smartly right yeah that's what you have to do lock it down yeah so three separate calls totaling over two hours but we got it done i think my i think about an hour total yeah i was i lucked i lucked out in a big way because i yeah you did because there are a lot of other people like yourself they they were on the phone for about two i had a guy who uh god bless him got my card activated but not without the into the microphone like i can't hear you because you're breathing too hard (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about i like to get this squared away mr Keller. stop (laughs) stop please i cannot hear what you're saying yeah it was awkward all right so um jim harbaugh possibly maybe being the broncos next head coach could this be a good thing for russell wilson because number one let's go back to what George Payton and Greg Pinner, more, more notably, said, mm-hmm. our next head coach is not coming here to fix Russell Wilson. It's not a hire attached to Russell Wilson. So Jim Harbaugh, while the hire would not be because of Russell Wilson specifically, there could be some good uh, good impact with Harbaugh coming in and, dealing, and, and working with Russell Wilson. And so really good piece on this. In, uh, from Nick Kosminder in The Athletic. It's titled, Why Jim Harbaugh's NFL Pass Could Be Promising for the Broncos' Russell Wilson, that he goes back to when when Harbaugh took over the Niners in 2011. That Harbaugh had impending for aging quarterback, Alex Smith, number one pick in the 2005 draft. He convinced him to, to stay with the Niners on a one-year, $5 million deal. And Smith had a lot of injuries, only once during his first six seasons did he play more than 11 games. They went through offensive coordinators like your kid goes through tissues during cold and flu season. Mm-hmm. And so they, they struggled to find a consistent rhythm as the Niners shuffled through five different offensive coordinators. 
And all Smith would do during the next two seasons under Harbaugh would post a 19-5-1 record in 25 games. He completed 64% of his passes, 30 touchdowns against 10 picks, and a 95.1 quarterback rating. In 2011, Smith played in all 16 games, helped to lead the Niners to their first playoff appearance in nine seasons. And he did not play great in the NFC Championship game. Smith was able to take that first big season under Harbaugh and turn it into a three-year, $24 million deal in the offseason and was the starter in San Francisco until 2012. And then before suffering a concussion nine games into that season, Smith was on pace to lead the NFL in completion percentage at 70%, passer rating at 104.1. Colin Kaepernick, who was referenced last hour by a member of the pile, a rookie Harbaugh in the Niners draft in the second round of the 2011 draft, replaced Smith and became the starter and helped to lead the Niners to the Super Bowl. But the, the two second-round picks San Francisco got the season after the Chiefs and a deal for Smith was an illustration of the way his career had been res- resurrected under Harbaugh's guidance. So he took Alex Smith, who was kind of considered garbage at, the, at that point when Harbaugh got mm-hmm. there, said, look, stay here. Let's fix you, and let's have you be part of our success and our return to the playoffs. And that's what Smith did. Smith stayed. He believed that Harbaugh, Harbaugh was going to put the tools around him, better offensive line, improving defense, and the, the ability for this team to play better around him and take some pressure off Smith, being the, the number one pick that he was, mm-hmm. and how he had floundered in San Francisco under guys like Mike Singletary. And he was able to turn his career around in a big way. I said it, it paid off huge. He goes to Kansas City, gets that big deal, and for a good stretch, plays pretty well for Kansas City. Kind of uh, kind of builds off of what he did with the Niners yeah. at the end of his career. Gets him to the playoffs. And then they draft some cat named Patrick Mahomes, which has turned out. So once again, he gets mm-hmm. he gets replaced by a younger quarterback. But without but this the time, stability of Alex Smith, Niners the Chiefs are, are in no position yeah. to draft Patrick Mahomes. They're going to need other stuff. Exactly. Right? And they would, they're able to sit Mahomes. And same thing with the Niners. You know, he won those 15 games at the end of his career there. And people remember Alex Smith is like, man, he was kind of trash. But he's one of those guys where his completion percentage, not great. 50 to 60. But he won more games than he lost. He was 3 and 5, 7 and 9, 2 and 5, then 5 and 5, then 3 and 7, then 13 and 3. They went to the Super Bowl, 6 and 2. Six two and one, sorry, and then yeah. they they moved him off to Kansas City, where he won fifty games in five years. Yeah, I mean, he during his time with the Chiefs, John Harbaugh's I mean, stability or Jim Harbaugh, as much as he's a big dumb khaki pants at Michigan, his stability the the stability he brought to Alex Smith saved his career because he was very close to being a bust. Yeah, you look okay. His first year in Kansas City. 2013, they go 11 and 4, mm-hmm. 8 and 7, 11 and 5, 11 and 4, 9 and 6, 6 and, well, I served, 6 and 4 me, with Washington. Sorry, 9 and 6, pardon me, in his last year with Kansas City as you know the, the starter yeah. for, for part of that season. And Still, he went 11 and 5 and 16 starts for Washington. Yeah. And then that first year, 2013, when they went 11 and 4. Over 3,313 yards, 23 touchdowns, seven interceptions. The next year, they're eight and seven, 18 and six in terms of touchdowns to picks, 3,265. Following year, they went 11 and five, 
65% completion percentage, 3,486, threw for 20 touchdowns, 7 picks. 11-4 and four the next year. 67% completion percentage, 67.1, 3,502, 15 touchdowns, 8 picks, not not sensational numbers mm-hmm. in, in that regard, but they went 11 and 4. And then 9 and 6 that, that final year, he which was actually, he played the, the entire season, pardon me, 4,000, except for the last game, right? Didn't that's because they set, yeah. they set him down in Mahomes, started the last game. Yep. But his final year in Kansas City, he had a career best year in terms of yardage, 4,042, 26 touchdowns, five interceptions. He had great numbers that year, and it, Took the talent of Patrick Mahomes to replace him, yeah. Because those numbers you're saying, I'll take I'll take those numbers from my quarterback. Mm-hmm. I he should get a ring from the Chiefs, to be honest, about how he kind of saved them from a spiral downward to get them ready to just take that next level. He was not ready first year. He was not overall number one overall pick worthy. He was not ready. One touchdown, 11 interceptions. That he had 16 and 16 through a lot of interceptions. He After that, he only had two seasons from 2017 to 2020 where he threw double-digit interceptions. Most of the time, after leaving, or once Jim Harbaugh got there, five, five. Going to Kansas City, six, seven, eight, yeah. five. He had eight in his last year with Washington, but he still went five and one. So yeah, he had some interceptions, but he was winning games. But but what Harbaugh did though was he took a guy, a, a first round pick that many considered a bust, and and rejuvenated his career in a in a way that nobody yeah. could have expected. And part of the rejuvenation process was having a very healthy run game. Mm-hmm. Niners in 2012, it was Smith's most efficient season outside of the, the 2017 campaign with Kansas City. Ranked third in the NFL and rushing at 5.06 yards per game. During one Smith start against the Bills, the 49ers became the first team in league history to pass and rush for 300 yards in the same game. Niners also had the number two defense in the league, averaging 17.1 points per game and you know, allowing just those numbers. And so what it did was they provided the things necessary for, for Alex Smith to be successful. And this and this is Russell Wilson coming in with nine Pro Bowls. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been to two. He's not Alex Smith. Yes, he's older than Alex Smith. At if it is if a Harbaugh marriage happens, mm-hmm. but there's more skins here on the wall for for Russell Wilson and more established success to build off of than what Harbaugh had with Alex Smith when he was the coach of the Niners previously. And so the the formula once again it gets back to what what worked in in Seattle as well and whether Russ he wants to cook and he wants to throw the ball fifty times a game that's not how he was successful he was successful with a run game and a, an incredibly stout defense the Legion of Boom Marshawn Lynch carrying the rock and taking his shots downfield working out play action opportunities. And that's what can happen if Harbaugh comes to Denver. Because you know that the number one thing they're going to focus on, and it's whether it's Harbaugh or anybody else, it's going to be improving the offensive line. It's it's hoping that Javante Williams comes back and can be the Javante Williams of old. Is he Marshawn Lynch? 
Not exactly, no. He's a guy, though, we've seen the first couple of years in the league, has the talent to be one of the better backs in the league. Now the question, what will he look like coming off the ACL surgery? That remains to be seen. Wilson Saladay's, like you mentioned, are all about running and defense. 2012 through 2016, they peaked at fourth in offense, but for those five years, they were first, 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 third in points allowed defensively. That helps a lot. They took advantage of the defense by playing to their strengths. Their strengths were never Russ just running around throwing the ball 50 times a game. So it's now getting Russell Wilson to understand, accept, and buy in that what Pete Carroll did in Seattle mm-hmm. really is kind of what they he he should have embraced probably more than he did and needs to embrace that same kind of mindset in Denver. Because he's going to get opportunities to make big plays, big throws, take advantage of, of one of the better vertical passing arms in the league, but they've got to run the football. They've got to have success. They've got to protect him up front. And Russ still has to be able to utilize you know the, the, the mobility that he still possesses. Mm-hmm. He's not Tom Brady, okay, in terms of his mobility. Even Russ, where we don't consider his mobility to be as good as it was, and that's understandable. He's 34 now. But it's still better than a lot of guys in the league, most starting quarterbacks in the league. And I liked, I loved what the Broncos did Sunday where they found ways to utilize that running ability with the two rushing touchdowns. You don't want to run him like Lamar Jackson. You're not going to run him constantly, or even Josh Allen. But you pick your spots. He has moments where everybody's covered, going to tuck it, and I'm going to run for a first down, where smart utilization of his running ability is going to be really important going forward for this football team. Mm-hmm. All right, 922. Jim along with the Buckeye Boy today from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. The most trusted name in automobiles. So, uh, got some thoughts on on that because I think it's uh, it's a good comp in terms of what, what Harbaugh did with Alex Smith and what, what he can certainly do with Russell Wilson. Alex Smith, a guy kind of like Russ, a guy that can make some plays with his legs and was a mobile quarterback, certainly was a dual-threat guy at Utah, and and does did some things similar to what Russell Wilson did during his time in the league. All right, 923, Jim along with the Buckeye boy. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Going to uh, switch gears a little bit, talk a little baseball, and the possible Hall of Fame candidacy of one Todd Helton. Is 2023 the year for Helton? Or maybe it's a year off. We'll get into that coming up next. Text or call the show. Chick-fil-A breakfast team phone line, 970-242-1340. Craptastic. That's just crap. The team presents the Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Welcome back, 926. Jim and the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. All right, Todd Helton. We've, we've talked about Todd Helton a lot over the years, the Todd father, whether he's a Hall of Fame player. 
I think we, we probably would. Fair to say that you and I have gone back and forth over the years about is Helton a Hall of Famer? And I think we've, we, I think we both, and correct me if I'm wrong, come to the conclusion that, that Helton, Helton is a Hall of Famer. I believe he is. And it looks like that the baseball writers think as we think. That while he's probably not going to get in this year, this is a, a really good piece by Patrick Saunders in the Post today. That uh, Ryan Thibodeau is the creator of the Baseball Hall of Fame vote tracker. He uh, Saunders it, had him in this piece, and Thibodeau says, "I think getting seventy-five percent of the vote this year still looks unlikely, but Todd's off to a fantastic start, so you never know." Uh, Hall of Fame announcements coming up on the twenty-fourth of this month with the induction celebration set for July 23rd at Cooperstown, New York. Last year, Helton, in his fourth year of eligibility, got 52% of the vote from voting members of the Baseball Writers Association of America, need 75% for election, and enshrinement into Cooperstown. As of yesterday, Helton on the bubble, with a yes vote on 77.5% of the 112 ballots that have been made public, about 30.5% of those have been made public. Mm-hmm. You referenced the the D.B. Sweeney yeah. piece that uh, you played for Soundcheck with one of the writer's picks. And Rockies right fielder Larry Walker, who got in in 2020 in his 10th and final year, Walker jumped from 54.6 to 76.6 in the final in his during his final induction. So Helton last year at 52%. According to Thibodeau, needs about a 23-point jump to make it this year. Walker made that kind of jump, but it was his last year in the ballot, and there was an extra urgency to do it. Helton doesn't have that urgency. He's still got time, so mm-hmm. 23 points probably be too much. There's a couple hundred ballots more to be announced or tallied or whatever. And there's only two guys right now that are above the threshold. And Todd's above, right? I mean... He's at 77.9. If he's on three of every four that come in, he'll get in. I just I don't know if it happens this year, but he's made a significant jump over the last few years. And I think people are finally starting to get get away from, yeah, but he played at Coors Field. Yeah, those numbers are... are those numbers well, are inflated. Altitude, yeah, altitude inflated. When you have advanced analytics now where you can park-adjusted, environment-adjusted numbers, your OPS plus, when you slot Todd Helton in with some of the other guys that have an OPS plus around 130, there's Hall of Famers there. He has the same OPS plus career-wise. This is OPS plus and just OPS plus, so don't, don't at me. Jackie Robinson's 133 right there with Todd Helton. Jackie Robinson, for all of the off-the-field stuff he's known for, and rightfully so, was an incredible player of the game. And his OPS Plus is the same, adjusted, with all these other metrics and factors, as Todd Helton's. And it's one of the numbers that comes out that's... Fred McGriff, 134. He's in. He's he's in. One of the numbers that comes up that, that works against Todd Helton... Is that been the the home run splits, two twenty seven at home versus one forty two on the road, but he's got an eight fifty five road OPS. 
and then some of the other numbers that they come out that you know as far as that his road numbers were better than a lot of players already in the Hall of Fame. You can so if you want to ignore the Coors Field stuff, mm-hmm. this is just what he did on the road. And you got to take into account if you're talking about this how hard it is to go back on the road from elevation. Back exactly. and forth, back and forth. That's more of a talking point now than it was even three years ago. A slash line, 287, 386, 469, and that 855 OPS that I mentioned at uh, you know road ballparks, higher than the road OPS of Dave Winfield, Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. Eddie Murray, Hall of Famer, yeah, Ricky Henderson, Hall of Famer, Tony Gwynn, is he a Hall of Famer? Uh, I've heard that. Yeah. Al Kaline? Yeah. Yeah. And George Brett. And that's where, like you said, the, the advanced analytics play in the favor of Todd Helton. Plus, well, well Helton could hit home runs. I mean, that really wasn't his thing. He was a doubles machine, particularly at Coors Field, with those, those huge, huge alleys at Coors Field. But, by many during his you know time playing the league, 17 years, one of the very best defensive first basemen in all the game. So you had offense that went along with a, a tremendous glove at first base. And you know, can he you know make that kind of Larry Walker jump this year in terms of picking up votes? As of the moment, it looks like he's got a shot, right, at the moment, but there's still a lot of ballots out there. Mm-hmm. It is probably not going to happen this year, but it certainly looks like that he's trending in the right direction for maybe getting inducted in 2024. And how cool would that be? Because I think there's a point we thought, how many Rockies will we ever get into the Hall of Fame? Because of Coors Field. Well, we got Larry Walker in, and it looks like that hopefully, because of what Larry did, kind of busting down the door, mm-hmm. that that's going to get Todd Helton in as well. There'll be one more eventually, but he may go in as a Cardinal. Most likely, that'll be the case. One Nolan Arenado. Mm-hmm. I did get a text, I think it was from Paul earlier, about has the Pro Football Hall of Fame become the Hall of the Really Good? Let's go through the list very quickly, shall we? Since we're talking Hall of Fame stuff here with, with baseball. We referenced that Jared Allen's on this list. Defensive end. Willie Anderson, offensive tackle. Is Jared Allen, Hall the very good? Yes. Probably so. Willie Anderson, I'd probably say yes as well. I don't remember enough about him. Play 96 to 2007, Ravens 2008. He was good. But I agree. I There's nothing. Uh, the, hall, the, the Hall the good on that one. Offensive linemen are really hard. You know. Rondé Barber. Hollow the really good. Played safety and corner. Yeah, but I'd probably put him in that category. Dwight Freeney. Had a stretch where he was probably one of the top, and same with Jared Allen, one of the top pass rushers in the league. But I think there wasn't Dwight the long... Freeney was way more dominant than Jared yeah. Allen. I have to look at their numbers and see. I Freeney on the surface, I think it feels right when you say that. Mm-hmm. Allen was really, really good, though. Uh, let's see. Jared Allen played six, four, two, and 
So 12 years, 136 sacks. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dwight Freeney played 15, 16 years, 125 sacks. So, okay. So, well, so probably both. Jared Allen got to 22. He had double-digit sacks in seven straight seasons. Dwight Freeney did it seven times total. Okay, so maybe. So, Jared right. Allen, yeah. But when you say Freeney, it sounds right. It sounds like he. His he, team won more, I guess. Yeah. He's got a Super Bowl ring. I believe, where Jared Allen doesn't. No. Jared Allen, five-time Pro Bowl, four-time All-Pro. Freeney, seven-time Pro Bowl, three-time All-Pro. I I'm Just on numbers, Jared Allen's got better numbers. He's got more sacks and fewer games. 136 sacks in 187 games. Freeney, 125 and 218. So, okay. All right. Is then. he a Hall of Famer? Dwight Freeney? Jared Allen. Oh, looking at these numbers, I think I would put him in over Dwight Freeney, yeah. But not initial knee-jerk reaction, but yeah, I would probably put Jared Allen in, actually. Now, the, just looking at the number. What about Devin Hester? No. Fun story. Outstanding kick returner. But that's pretty much that's what he did. Yeah. And I just think that as much as I love Rick Upchurch, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that gets necessarily gets you into the Hall of Fame. Torrey Holt, part of the greatest show on turf. And that was a pretty impressive group of receivers. Kurt Warner, you know, quarterback in that football team. To me, I worry about that Ram squad becoming the Steel Curtain. That you just get yeah, in. Just put everybody in. You just get in by connection to it. Yeah. And I feel bad because the quarterback's in. The running back is in. Marshall Falk, right? I think Isaac, Isaac Bruce is in. Isaac Bruce is in. You know, I, I, Isaac Bruce had 1,500 yards or 15,000 yards, 91 touchdowns. Torrey Holt, 1,374. In 95, Isaac Bruce was second in receiving yardage to Jerry Rice. That was a year that Bruce had 1,781. Rice, Rice only had 1,848 that mm -hmm. year. That was it. He was fifth in receptions. 96 season, led the league in yards, over 1,300. Went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2020. It, it almost does feel like it's a little bit like, like Pittsburgh, like Steel yeah. Curtain in the 70s. Just because you were connected to it, you're probably going to get in. But I mean, Torrey Holt, 16, 13, 13, 16, 13, 1,300 yards from 2000 to 2005. I mean, that's a six-year stretch there where he got 8,000 yards, 8,700 yards in six years. He reached 10,000 yards and 11,000 yards faster than any other player in league history. I'd probably put Torrey Holt in, actually. He holds the record for the most catches in a single decade, most receiving yards in a decade. Okay, he's in. <laughs> yeah, he's in. Okay. Sometimes we have to go back and look at these things. Yeah. Yeah, he, he deserves to be in. Let's see. Andre Johnson mentioned big physical receiver for the Texans back in the day, the later the Colts and the Tennessee Titans. Does Andre Johnson... Does he make the cut? 
He was good. Yeah. He was really good on a really bad team, though. Let's see. Best year ever was 2008. 1,575 receiving yards, eight touchdowns, 115 catches. Those were career highs that year. Mm-hmm. His second best year in terms of yardage was the next year, 1,569, nine touchdowns, and 101 catches. He had over 100 catches, two, three, four, five times in his career. And he was over 1,500 yards three times in his career. Career high for touchdowns in a season was nine, and that was in that 2009 season. I don't know. I mean, that's that's borderline. Like, I'm not going to take up pitchforks and torches if he gets in, but I don't know if I would put him in. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, he's he's one of those guys, like I said, that was such a big physical receiver, was you know such an impressive player in terms of just his maybe to use his body, you know, to to go up and and high point balls and you know you know box guys out. Yeah, Andre Johnson's eleventh all time in receiving yards in league history. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I would say probably yes in the case of Andre Johnson because of that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, we're, we're talking top 20 all time in the league. Yeah. You probably, you probably deserve Albert Lewis chiefs cornerback. Let's play for the Raiders. Uh, I don't know enough. Really, really good player back in, in, in that period of time. One of the better corners in the league, possibly Darrell Revis. He was the best at his position for for a pretty decent stretch. Or are we, are we too, at least that was the feeling I always had. But then again, was it more the Revis Island? Was it more the hype about him? Because then when he went when he went south, he went south in a hurry. Well, he had a long way to go too. That's the thing from where yeah. he was at at the peak. I'm unsure about Darrell Revis. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I just Joe Thomas is a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying that to butter, butter your biscuits today. You don't normally do that. No, he was that good. He was fantastic. Zach Thomas was really good. Yeah, he was. But he's a Hall of Good though. I don't know if he was. I, to me, Joe Thomas is a Hall of Famer. Zach Thomas was really good. But is he Hall of Fame good? Was was Zach Thomas? Was he really good at both run and pass to the extent to where he was not great at either? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, the dude had 1,700 tackles. He got over 100 solo tackles four times. He started his career in 96, and from 96 to 06, those 11 seasons, he had 100 tackles in 10 of them, and 99 in the other season. I mean, that's that's a lot. He had a lot of he's fifth forced all, fumbles. He's fifth in tackles, career leaders since 1994. He's yeah. he's fifth all time. He's has 
double-digit interceptions, double-digit forced fumbles. You know, Ray Lewis is the leader a, in that. He's in. Doesn't have a ton of sacks. Derek Brooks is third. Sacks, he's in. But, I mean, he was a game changer. Yeah. What's the story with him? Was it him or Erlacher that Peyton Manning absolutely hated to play? It was Zach Thomas. Yeah. Because he would call out the play that Peyton Manning was changing to. And that's not going to show up on a pro football reference page. I think Zach Thomas is a Hall of Famer. DeMarcus Ware. Ninth all-time in sacks. Got a ring. Yeah. Sure. I mean, yep. yeah. Zach Thomas, going back to him. Zach Thomas, Hall of Fame neck pad. Neck Absolutely. The neck roll, yeah. Yeah, Hall of Fame neck roll guy. Did you ever wear the neck roll? No. I didn't move that fast to need a neck roll. <laughs> See, I wore it senior year for part of the season, yeah. and then it was because I played tight end too, and it was so tough to turn my head. You know, I barely get wore pass. the game, Jade. Not that not that we threw the ball a lot, but um, I'm like, eh, I don't think I think I'm going to take it off. Uh, Reggie Wayne, is that kind of a little bit by association, like we talked about the Steelers? We mentioned this with the Rams, that because that group was so good, Marvin Harrison, Edgar James, PFM. The Wayne gets in because of that. Yeah, maybe Dallas Clark was really good. There's a nine year stretch, oh four to two thousand and twelve, where Reggie Wade averaged ninety two catches for twelve hundred and forty yards a season. It's pretty I mean, good. That's pretty damn good. North of twelve fourteen thousand total yards receiving. He yeah. broke even rushing. He had negative four, then four, negative five, then five. So he broke even on four carries. Yeah, I, I would say Reggie Wayne's a Hall of Famer. I would. Led the league in receiving yards once. Never led the league in catches, but got north of 100 four separate times. Yeah, I would. Dude started 16 games a season. Every season from 03 to 2011. Inside, Your availability turf. Yeah. Needs, needs to be a factor. It does. What about Patrick Willis to wrap it up here? I'm going to say no because the name doesn't really jump out at me. Seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro. That speaks volumes, the, the five-time first-team All-Pro. The Pro Bowl stuff to yeah. me never never matters. It's all pro. He kind of had his peak was incredible, but it was a very small peak. It was very short. I'm I've pulled up his pro football page, so I could, I'm looking at that. Not this isn't by memory. And then he had a decline. Where four years was great, the next four years not that great, and then was out of the league after his eighth season. I would say fringe. He was named to the 2010 All-Decade team, but he's probably a fringe guy. But the but the All-Pro first team is that that needs to grab your attention. But you're right. I mean the the peak was really really good, but then a lot mm-hmm. of injuries, a lot of other issues uh, play a role into how you evaluate his career. Yeah, 
And then Darren Woodson for the Cowboys. Pretty solid, consistent safety for the Cowboys for many, many years. Yeah. Quarterback in the back end of that defense. Probably so. But I, I kind of agree with Paul a little bit in that there are, there are some guys to me, like Joe Thomas is a no-brainer. Jared Allen probably is, mm-hmm. though we debated about Jared Allen. Holt and Wayne. Yeah, Holt. But there's some others you just kind of go... Zach Thomas, I think, is no doubter. Yeah. But there are others you kind of go, eh, I'm not, not so sure that guy's really a Hall of Fame guy. All right. Let's uh, quickly wrap it up here. We'll take a break, and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, right now it's time for... That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, going a little long here, so we'll keep it brief. 1964, Keith Lincoln of the San Diego Chargers rushes for 206 yards and 13 carries, catches seven passes for 123, completes a pass for 20 yards and scores two touchdowns in the 51-10 route of Boston for the AFL title. 1983 in his 42nd game, Edmonton's Wayne Gretzky scores his one of the point of the season with an assist in the Oilers 8-3 win over the Winnipeg Jets. And 1993, Reggie Jackson, who had 563 homers and played on five championships teams in 21 seasons, is the only player selected to the Pro Football Hall of or to the excuse me, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're talking Pro Football, but uh, Reggie Jackson going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. All right, we will take a break. We'll come back and wrap it up next here on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. We're going to be here a while. Would you like to talk? Talk to me! The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Welcome back in 951. Jim and the Buckeye Boy. Chick-fil-A breakfast team phone line 970-242-1340. Got one from Brent. We actually sent this yesterday. We didn't get a chance to get to it. Hello, team. Do you think CMU and JUCO ball clubs will adopt new major league rules? First off, NCAA, Brent has to adopt those rules. NJCA has to adopt those rules. We, we know for JUCO, we will see for the first time instant replay. Coaches will be allowed to challenge. And um, I know they were, they were, at least the last time we talked, uh, last year's JUCO, they were working out some of the the particulars on that, but you know, it's once again, it's it's going to be up to those you know the NCAA mm-hmm. and JCA to decide if they want to uh, do some of the things that you know, like the the bases being bigger, some of the things that Major League Baseball plans on doing moving forward. We'll see what happens. They just might. All right, 9.52, time to hop in the dumpster. We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Oh, I love trash. All right, not that this is garbage. It's pretty cool. It'll be history that uh, from right here in Colorado, Michaela Schifrin, she continues her march toward uh, surpassing her uh, one-time teammate, Lindsey Vaughn, in terms of uh, World Cup skiing championships uh she won her fifth consecutive uh downhill her 81st world cup win she's one short of the record held by Lindsay vaughn so congratulations to michaela schifrin do you have anything uh i have this from last week just kind of clicking around milwaukee bucks guard grayson allen had another scuffle back last wednesday with the chicago bulls uh, he done a little bit, and then uh, Adam Amin and Stacy King, the Bulls broadcasters, 
wanted uh, to quote Stacy King, give Grayson Allen a little two piece, and he'll stop doing that. Somebody pop him upside his head a couple times, advocating for violence. Scrappy Bulls announcers. <laughs> also, remember Le'Veon Bell, one of the more explosive playmakers in the league before he set yeah. out the 2018 season, and then he was never the same football player. Uh, Reggie Bush took to Twitter to share his opinion that players deserve fully guaranteed contracts. Bell set out all of 2018 due to a contract dispute with the Steelers. He pointed out that he wanted a fully guaranteed deal that year, but people thought he was wrong. So Bell also said that the reason his career went in the toilet was because of Adam Gase's play calling when he was a Jet. Shocker. What a shocker. Is he right about fully guaranteed, though? Yes. Everybody else has them. Every other league has fully guaranteed contracts. And you know what it'll do? It'll stop at the very least with the, well, dead money and owed this and cut by this, day, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. You know that the dollar is the dollar. That this is the price that you're paying somebody to play for your team. Simple as that. All right. That's our show for today. Tomorrow we'll have a Delta boys basketball coach Rob Ames with us. Cake will be in tomorrow. And uh, coming up tonight we'll have... University of Colorado Buffalo's basketball. Mark Johnson with the call from the CU Event Center. Buffs take on Oregon tonight. Pre-game at 6.30 for that one on the Team Sports Network. And also in tomorrow's program, we'll preview the Mavericks taking on Chadron State and Colorado Christian this weekend. For the Buckeye Boy, I'm Jim. Jim Rome is coming up next on the Team Sports Network. Thanks again for joining us. Get your picks in, by the way, at the team1340.com for Pile Pick, Skin Pick'em.